0: I'm in.
1: There's a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America. Can we talk with Debbie George Addis on America? Can we talk? We talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America, can we talk?
2: Starts now. Good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thanks so very much for tuning into my show, America. Can we talk? I want to start tonight. We are now on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And just a special message out to our uh, fellow Americans living in California and living with the uh, impact of these horrible fires all over California. There was a story earlier today about a couple living in their car. Their grown children are going elsewhere for uh, Thanksgiving. Their home is gone. And just a picture of your I mean, maybe they'll find some community dinner to go to, but that's your Thanksgiving this year. And I will tell you also that we have a family in San Francisco. And just earlier today, I got a text saying, hey, for the first time in days, we can see blue sky. So, I mean, these fires are really devastating and just, you know, prayers and heart and heart and love to people in California. And I actually, and there have been, I'll talk about a little bit later, there were some press conferences in California Uh, President Trump went out to visit some of the victims and see the areas just just devastated by the fires. And I really hope beyond all the ongoing rhetoric that there can be a concentrated and just a good faith effort on the part of the Forestry Service and the government of California to recognize that these fires, as many forestry experts have been pointing out, were much, much worse in intensity, heat, speed of spreading because of forestry practices that are so determined to never clear never do normal clearing which is one thing that had been done historically that prevents fires from becoming so devastating you know all the posturing and political rhetoric back and forth really is it's uh, not it's not good enough to deal with the situation it's not good enough for the people in california who actually need to have changes made in the way the forests are taken care of so we don't have these kind of devastating fires we have more ability to get them under control and i i hope there's recognition by there has been have been statements by california forestry people saying the problem is we don't clear we don't do anything to prevent this and this is why we are now in this horrible situation so just prayers for everybody out there in california Hope they can find a way to have at least a peaceful uh thanksgiving so moving forward the thing i want to talk about really in tonight's first five has to do with the uh court order related to cnn and jim acosta and there was a um press conference you probably all heard it last week i'm going to play a segment of it before i tell you what the court ruled here is jim acosta not being a journalist, basically hassling President Trump in a press conference in the White House. Here we go.
3: Thank you, Mr. President. I- challenge you on on one of the statements that you made in the tail end of the campaign uh, in, in the midterms. That here, this, here we go. That, well, if let's you don't mind, go, Mr. Go. President, that this caravan was an invasion. As you know, Mr. President, the caravan was not an invasion. It's, a, it's a, a group of migrants moving up from Central America towards the border with the U.S. Thank you for telling me that and why, why, did you, why did you characterize it as such? Uh, because I consider it an invasion, you and I have a difference of opinion. But do you think that you demonized immigrants in not this election no, to try I to want keep... them I want them to come into the country, but they have to come in legally. You know, they have to come in, Jim, through a process. I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working
2: for CNN. So that I think I actually played that clip last week, too. But what's happened since then is CNN filed a lawsuit because the White House pulled Jim Acosta's um, press credentials and the ongoing battle now is. So CNN filed a lawsuit and actually many other media outlets, including Fox, joined in the lawsuit, arguing essentially that the um, First Amendment uh, prohibited or in some way impacted the decision of the White House whether or not they were able to pull Jim Acosta's press um, credentials. And just to tell you very quickly how it works, in Washington, the major news outlets have a large number of credentials assigned to them. And some of them are considered hard passes, meaning you can always get in the White House with this hard pass. You're able to use areas in the White House designated for the press to do them, to make their reports from. So Jim Acosta has had this, I think it was since 2012 or 2013. He's had a, He's had a hard pass for a long time. What you just heard, though, was not... Jim Acosta asking tough questions. He, you did not hear penetrating questions. You heard him uh, essentially arguing with the president, not essentially, arguing with the president, saying, I get to tell you, you can't call this caravan as invasion because I can tell you what what you must call it. Um, and then there was, I had to cut the clip short so it didn't get too long, but there was a point in which the president was trying to say, okay, you're done. Thank you very much. Jim Acosta asked four questions when you're supposed to ask one essentially arguing with the president back and forth um, and really just it wasn't a question he wasn't trying to inquire to get an answer he was badgering the president disrupting the press conference and making it possible for other people impossible for the other parties in the room to have a fair chance to ask their questions so all that this court has ruled just you understand the court did not rule that acosta is permanently entitled to his press pass, all they ruled was that his right to due process, which is a Fifth Amendment right in the Constitution, basically, you know, before the government can deprive you of life, liberty, or property, they have to show you due process of law. Essentially, they're saying the White House didn't give a cost to adequate warning that they might pull his press pass if he be continue to behave like a, you know, uh, eighth grader, uh, who a belligerent eighth grader. But I think going forward, the White House is going to make some rules. That's the good part. I was my last shot, and this is, it ought to been CNN who pulled Acosta's press credentials because he does not look like a grown-up. I'm Debbie George S., America Community Talk, Facebook Live. Come back in four minutes.
0: The soul of freedom.
4: The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit UrbanCure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America.
3: The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution, and nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE.
1: The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org
5: and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomeFront.org. That's OperationHomeFront.org.
2: And welcome back to America. Can we talk a couple more shots of this CNN Acosta thing? And then I'm going to turn to the I want to talk in this segment about the where the fact that simply relentlessness and recounting it really has been an astonishingly important thing in this uh, most midterm election cycle. But back to Acosta for a second. I really do mean it. I think that there was an era in America's uh, journalistic history in, in journalistic uh, conduct where it would have been CNN who said, you know what, actually, you're there to ask questions. And you can ask hard questions. You can ask, you know, don't you think that's insulting to call the uh, caravan uh, an invasion? But then you have to shut up and let the president answer. What you really are seeing in the CNN's conduct, in Jim Acosta's conduct, and frankly, in these news organizations joining in the lawsuit against, on behalf of CNN, against the White House, You're seeing the visceral disdain for President Trump and the notion that this left wing mindset that because we don't like President Trump because he doesn't belong there because he shouldn't have won the election. We can badger him and badger and badger and badger and badger and this I'll tell you what's going to happen. I mean, I don't know whether this lawsuit is going to continue on or not. Because what's going to happen in the next press conference uh, or coming up this week is that President Trump is going to put in place rules. And I'm sure he's got great advisors telling him all sorts of ideas. Here are a few. Every question can be no longer than 30 seconds. If you do not surrender the microphone after 30 seconds, you, surrend- you uh, lose your press pass for a week. Fair warning. Due process does not mean there's no law that says, to be clear, folks, no law that President Trump has to have press conferences at all. He doesn't have to have any. He doesn't have to give any press passes to particular people. Now, there was a precedent. The reason this judge who heard the CNN case went ahead with the at least ruled in CNN's favor on the narrow issue of due process was that there was a D.C. Circuit Court opinion that essentially said uh, uh, that protects news gathering under the First Amendment guarantee of freedom of the press and says it requires access to White House press facilities not be denied arbitrarily. Or for less than compelling reasons, when a reporter—and you can't even call Acosta a reporter—he's just a—he's just a, an, an enemy combatant on behalf of the American left, posing as a journalist. But in any case, when Acosta goes in there, interrupts, disrupts, won't surrender the microphone, keeps arguing with the president, um, and asks more than his fair share of questions. He's not—that can violate a rule. That is can be a compelling reason. It's not arbitrary to say, you can't come here until you behave. Interestingly, Trump was interviewed on some place right after that, or this past week, and said he doesn't even really— someone said, you know, something about, do you just hate when Jim Acosta comes on? He said, not really. It's kind of fun to talk to him. I mean, President Trump is not— cowed or bullied by Acosta, which is a great thing. He's one one of the great things about President Trump's strength. He's not really afraid of Acosta or afraid of of being tough and responding to him. But Acosta was not there to ask a question. He was there to say, I want you to admit, President Trump, you never should have characterized a caravan as an invasion. You were wrong. And on top of that, you made people feel bad. It was just a left-wing harangue. And I truly do think... It would be a fabulous thing. Well, CNN will never do it because they're just they they are the you know, they are the headquarters, the enemy combatant uh, news in this country against President Trump. But some other responsible news agency would have taken Acosta aside after that, the latest of his. And this is the latest of many stunts on his part and said, you know what? You have to pretend you're a grown up and act like it. And if you can't, we'll put send somebody else there. By the way, I'm pretty sure CN- CNN has 50 press passes. It isn't like Acosta was their only guy there. It's just the one they want there because he's the most belligerent. Anyway, I don't know what happened with that case uh, moving forward, but I, I would not be surprised that the appellate court just basically looking at the facts of the case just said, you know what, he, had our, he, he didn't arbitrarily pull your pass, and therefore it's pulled, but... I think going forward, getting control of those is really important for President Trump. OK, so that that was it on um, uh, on that. The, the due process thing, by the way, it's amazing. But due process in the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution, which basically says you can't the government can't deprive citizens of life, liberty or property without due process. That that's a, a, applied to the pulling of a press pass. But there you have it. The courts have previously said that. OK. Turning to the elections, I had two speeches this past week, uh, which I, I love public speaking. I love talking to groups. I love taking q and I, I just really enjoy the whole discussion. Mainly, I always refer to it as this discussion around the unique, extraordinary greatness of America. But about the particular elections this past, uh, you know, a week ago now or over a week ago, coming up in two weeks ago, um, there is a relentlessness on the American left that is unmatched on the American right Uh, simply a relentlessness. So we have, we had election night outcomes. We had some of them within the margin of error, you know, so margin of recount, or as Mark Stein calls it, the margin of lawyer. Um, But we had some that they had recounts and challenges, and uh, some of the good things came from it and some not so good things. I'm going to start with the good things. Finally, today in Florida, we had two really huge races in Florida. Uh, The first one related to the United States Senate, Florida has had Bill Nelson, a Democrat, in the Senate on behalf of Florida for, I don't know how many, a long time. And uh, retiring Florida Governor Rick Scott, the Republican, who um, is term limited as governor, ran for Senate. And there was a manual recount. Uh, There was a recount, a manual recount, a lot of snark back and forth. But finally, today, Rick Scott, uh, Bill Nelson has conceded. So now we do firmly have the Florida Senate seat the one Florida Senate seat in question uh, in the hands of Rick Scott, who's actually just a great Republican. I, I, I like that guy. He's really articulate. You know, he's not a slogan slinger. He's a very substantive guy. There was also a big race in Florida on the governor's side. I'm going to get to the thing I want to talk about, which has to do with Georgia in a moment. But on the on the uh, Florida governor's race, this is a race that should not have even been close at all in a country where people were slightly clued in to the importance of. Of free markets, free enterprise, the the kind of founding ideas of America. Because the race for the uh, governor's seat in Florida was between uh, a Democrat uh, whose last name is Gillum, G I L L U M Andrew Gillum, um, and he's he's African American. He's very far left. He funds very thing things very far left. He advocates far leftism. I mean, this should not sell in America anywhere. Certainly not in Florida. Maybe California, but anyway. Um, and then the uh, GOP candidate, Ron DeSantis. And so that also was called today after pressure, recount, fussing, arguing um, and, and the the manual recount thing. I'm going to get to a point I want to make about America to what we to do in the next two years. But anyway, so now we have Florida. The governor's race has also gone to the Republican. In the meantime, we had a bid for the governor's race in Georgia. This is the one I want to spend a minute talking about. So, the Democrat candidate for the governor's seat in in uh, Georgia would have been Stacey. Abr- it was Stacy Abrams. A b r a m s. Stacey Abrams, A-B-R-A-M-S, Abrams African American woman, um, and she was uh, ran a really feisty campaign, but she lost. the The count is over. She has lost. But to say the least, she did not go. Quietly. I want to play her clip. Sorry, I had to find you. I want to play her clip. This is uh, her not really concession speech. I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp
1: will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial election but to watch an elected official who claims to represent the people in this state baldly pin his hopes for election on the suppression of the people's democratic right to vote has been truly appalling. So let's be clear, this is not a speech of concession because concession means to acknowledge an action is right, true, or proper. As a woman of conscience and faith, I cannot
2: concede that. But my assessment is the law currently allows no further viable remedy. So that was her less than gracious concession speech. I will say this. I played her whole speech and I listened to, it. And I really did think about it. If you actually believe what she appears to believe, that there was rampant unfairness in this governor's race in Georgia— she described things like people arriving at polling locations, they didn't have adequate paper, they didn't, or They couldn't give out ballots, they had missing machines where they couldn't plug the machines in because they didn't have the extension cords. She went through a long litany of things that she claims were unfairly done. I frankly don't know if I believe the extent of the description that she had. I think she's working very hard to agitate the Democrat base in Georgia to be— uh, you know, to be upset, to question the legitimacy of Brian Kemp's victory as governor of Georgia. But I will say what she did in her speech was she spread she spread a lot of distrust, anger, uh, resentment, uh, under, undermining the credibility of the entire race, of the entire gubernatorial race. This has happened other places, too, where the concession speech is more of an accusation speech. I will say this. I think in this country— When you can send people to the moon, you can do the most amazing uh, medical uh, care possible on the planet Earth, where we have the most amazing advanced electronics and computer skills and computer ability and programming. We can fix the uh, alleged voter fraud in this country and we need to commit in the next two years to cleaning up voter rolls removing people who are deceased or who moved out of state having some mandatory id that cannot be cheated we ought to know within an hour of the polls closing every time who won We we'll come back from the break a few more points on that come back uh minutes on facebook live
6: The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit armyscholarshipfoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dream. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit armyscholarshipfoundation.org and get involved today.
7: America faces unprecedented threats to our national security.
4: The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit UrbanCure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America.
8: Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From Healthcare to Poverty, from free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit ThePolicyCircle.org today. That's ThePolicyCircle.org.
0: Can you hear us now?
2: Hey there, this is Debbie Georgiades, America Can, Can we Talk. You Thank you so much for tuning in. Two more things about these elections, and then I want to turn and talk to you about the complete fits that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is giving Nancy Pelosi. I'm telling you, folks, it is a break out your popcorn moment. But back to the elections for a second. I told you in this past week, I gave a couple speeches uh, and I use the expression, the, the relentlessness of the American left. They will fight and challenge every possible way to get their way. This is why the, uh, you know, we're still in the battle. We will be in the battle with Jim Acosta and CNN attacking President Trump, thinking they can come to the press conference and simply harass him the entire time and dominate and not let anyone else questions, ask questions. Uh, but in the election cycle, there has been some great strength actually shown in the American right, shown among conservatives. So you end up with in Florida because it appeared that the Broward County election supervisor was going to somehow tip the election and cause the Democrats to win win the U.S. Senate race and the governor's race, and instead there was tenacity shown, there was strength shown, and the insistence on the rule of law, insistence on the light of day and transparency on that astonishingly uh, amazingly troubled election department and uh so here we now we now have that victory two other thing a uh, race is still outstanding it's just amazing um one uh, is in california now in i we grew, we lived in california many years and um, our kids were all born there and um have family out there so california you know is um, pretty much known as the land of fruit and nuts very left wing you know very um just everyone who is has any position of authority of any kind is a democrat I'm not just a democrat one of the really far left Democrats. But Orange County is often an area to say, well, yeah, but you know, the Republicans have a few of the seats in San Diego in the U.S. Congress, and the Republicans have some of the seats in Orange County, which is a business center. You would think that, you know, people who actually still like free enterprise, probably in Orange County, are going to end up voting uh, Republican. However, there was an election on election night, um, a Korean American candidate, a GOP candidate named Young. Kim K. I. M. was uh, announced as the as the winner with a three point margin of victory and a hundred percent of the precincts reporting. That usually means all votes have been counted. However, we're now in a battle over that one, and that this is one where I think there's some question. And this young candidate, this young woman, is really fighting. She's not just surrendering. But it now appears that um, after a vote recount or more votes being found and counted, somehow almost all of them went for the Democrat. And so he's now up by over 3,000 votes. So I don't know if that's going to end up in court. I don't know where that one happened. But at least this young Kim is quite—this um, is for CD39 out of California, Orange County. And this would be the last Republican seat available in Orange County. All the other ones went to Democrats. So there's a just a massive um, problem. I mean, I, it, I know that we have er, uh, early voting and mail-in balloting and all these reasons that on election night— when they shut the polls down, they announce the results that, that a lot of places are not over. This has to be fixed. this has to be, a, there has to be a better way than we're now almost two weeks after the elections, and we don't know for sure who won. Last one that is still in a battle, Mia Love, far as I know, still in a battle. Uh, Mia Love, current U.S. congresswoman, um, and she is uh, pulled ahead. This is Utah's fourth congressional district. She is the incumbent. And uh, she it's gone back and forth. The Democrat challengers Ben McAdams. I found one hit. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, that is right. Um, one, one, yeah, I think that she's ahead. actually, I'm not sure about this when this last was uh, being announced. This was well, this was actually two days ago. So anyway, Mia Love is still in a recount battle. She's fighting it out. And back to the young Kim one, the one in California on um, CD 34. Uh, the Democrat is named Gil Cisneros. And um, the more they count, more votes. The more he pulls ahead. So somehow, uh, seems like all these mail-in or whoever ones are counting are going for the Dem. You know, just it, the real problem is, it makes so many people begin to deeply, deeply mistrust, distrust the election process you can't you should have answers you should not be counting and rethinking and there is very little and unfortunately there's a great deal of um lack of faith uh lack of trust between the parties so we have to have we have people watching we have people paying attention and still we have um we just we have unsettled races and just a lot of distrust it's very very unhealthy for our precious country okay i want to just tell you about ocasio cortez though Okay, this is the Democrat woman, the young woman who's an openly. Her name is Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. She won a primary against a long-term incumbent Democrat. She won. It's a big, carved-out Democrat district. She won this seat in Congress. She's not even in Congress yet. She's just up there stirring things up. She number one um, is is part of an effort. to um, urge people, urge um, individuals to challenge incumbent Democrats who aren't far enough left. She's actually formally announcing. She just did it herself. She's not even, doesn't even know her Democrat caucus colleagues yet in Washington. And she's up there urging people to challenge incumbent Democrats uh, to get people to primary them like she did. And so sort to of push the party further left. Um, she was also part of a protest. There was a huge protest in Nancy Pelosi's office, led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, about the issue of climate change. This is her religion, is climate change. And this is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I'm going to play a little clip from her, uh, making her little remarks to these um, this assembled group of protesters, but in Nancy Pelosi's office. you got to love it. Here you go
1: know how proud I am of each and every single one of you for putting yourselves and your bodies and, and everything on the line to make sure that we save our planet, our generation, and our future. It's so incredibly important. I, I, I've, you know, I've shared with you all and I've shared my story that, uh, that my journey here started at Standing Rock. And it started with with everyday people doing exactly what you all were doing too. You
2: know. Okay, she goes. on Actually, that I cut off the next part of it, but she actually was quoted later. I mean, she's she is doing a sit-in in Nancy Pelosi's office, a presumed soon-to-be speaker of the House in the new year. So this is going to be her, you know, caucus, and she's leading a, a sit-in, and they were very disruptive and loud, and they had Capitol Hill police saying, "Come on, come on, you gotta settle down. You can't do this." But she's not I mean, she's a protester, but she's in Congress anyway. But she started something, it's called the New The Green New Deal. Like the New Deal FDR oh, this is the Green New Deal, a list of demands. And I'm telling you folks, get out the popcorn because I think a lot of time what happens, the very leftist radical, you know, climate change, uh, fear mongers who are trying to, you know, take just change all energy policy in this country take us 100 percent to wind and solar by tomorrow um you know the the democrat party kind of humors them and pats them on the head and says yeah i know we're, we're working on it but she's just saying no dice alexandria ocasio-cortez is putting pressure very openly very firmly very directly on nancy pelosi she's saying i expect you to do my entire agenda so she is um she's got this green New deal. It includes 100% of national power generation from renewable sources, building a national energy-efficient smart grid, upgrading every residential and industrial building for state-of-the-art energy efficiency, comfort, and safety, decarbonizing the manufacturing, agricultural, and other interesti- in, um, entities, industries, industries, decarbonizing, repairing, and improving transportation, other infrastructure, massive investment in the drawdown and capture of greenhouse gases. This woman is as far left radically as any environmentalist on this planet Earth. And she represents a Democrat district from the state of New York. She's in Congress now. And she is going to give the Democrats a hard time. And I'm telling you, you know, that she's not reasonable. She's not we are the processes. She's used expressions like, "Well, you know, when I'm when I'm in Cong- uh, Congress, I'm going to pass this," as though she passes things. I mean, I think she vaguely knows that she's only one member of the House, but she, I just I, I kind of love it because Nancy Pelosi is old, the old school Democrat. You know, she's the the uh, you know everyone understands she's the matriarch of the Democrat. She's the old maid of the Democrat. She's matron. She runs the place. She's a great fundraiser. She's had challenges, but other people don't dare to really challenge her because they think she's going to win the speakership. And if anyone on the planet would retaliate and punish against a Democrat who didn't support her, it'd be Nancy Pelosi. And here comes Ocasio-Cortez, who gets more media attention than almost anyone in Washington, making demands, very radical demands, very left-wing demands. And the Democrats are going to have to deal with her. I love it. And we still have, fortunately, we have the Senate, the Republicans have the Senate, we have the White House. So this is just going to be a a get out the popcorn, watch Ocasio-Cortez, because she's, I'm not, I mean, actually, obviously, everyone wants a clean environment. Everyone wants to have, you know, safe and clean air, clean water, all that kind of stuff. But this is not what she's urging. She's really, really talking about pretty darn radical stuff. And now she's got a a megaphone in in the U.S. Congress just keep an eye on her. I'm Debbie Georgiadis. This is America. Can we talk? After the break, I'm going to type a woman named Asia BB and a hassle coming to you in America. Come right back.
1: The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org.
7: Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today.
1: Faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington, or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country Policy.com to learn more.
6: The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit armyscholarshipfoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dream. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit Army Scholarship and get involved today.
0: Can you hear us now? Can you hear us and welcome
2: back to America Can We Talk? I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Okay, I want to tell you this most amazing story. First of all, I love doing this show every Sunday evening. I do this show, America Can We Talk, because I am just passionate and determined to speak up for the unique, extraordinary, exceptional idea that is America. I want to inspire more people to recognize our job as patriots in this generation to speak up for and defend this country, not against, I mean, definitely against foreign enemies, but against ideas and uh, movements and efforts in this country that will undermine America's uh, extraordinary greatness, prosperity, strength, freedom, stability, and safety. This is this country is uh, it's unmatched in the world, in all world history, and we need to be uh, recognizing why and cherishing it. I also want to thank the sponsor of our show at this time, America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Could not do the show without them. Now, I want to hit on this story that about um, the woman named Asia Beebe. And if you haven't heard this story, you've got to pay attention because this, this matters to America today. So Asia Bibi is a Catholic woman. She's Christian. She's Catholic. She lives in the country of Pakistan. Pakistan is, as you know, an Islamic um, country, uh, Islamic majority country, Islamic, um, uh, pretty extreme um, Islamic country. So she worked as a berry picker. So she's obviously poor. She's got a husband and five or six kids, worked as a berry picker, and a few years ago um, in in her work— She uh, had a conversation with two Muslim women who also uh, were working there. They claimed that she defamed the Prophet Muhammad in their conversation. And in Islam, under Sharia, which is Islamic law, in Islam, it it is a crime to defame, to say anything negative about Muhammad, the Prophet of Islam, So it's a crime, it's blasphemy, and it is punishable by death. In addition to having this conversation, which she denies, but in addition to this conversation, there was also an incident with these ladies, berry picking, where they needed to get water. They needed water to drink. It was hot and they're working. So they asked Asia Beebe to go get water, and she apparently took a sip of water from the well out of their cup Painting the cup, because she's not Muslim, she wasn't allowed to drink out of that cup. So these two things were considered blasphemy, even though, again, Asia Bibi is not Muslim. She's Catholic. She's a Christian. So she was prosecuted for by the government, not like some imam dragged her into a, a mosque. This is the government of the country of Pakistan prosecuted her for blasphemy and convicted Sentenced to death. The thing, the case has been rolling along and rolling on for years. So very recently, and, and so all along, she's been saying, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I did not uh, defame the prophet. I didn't say bad things about him. So, but these two women claim she did. So the case goes on and on, and, and she'd been sentenced to death. And then the um, the highest court in Pakistan recently... Overthrew, overturned her conviction on the grounds there wasn't sufficient evidence that she said what she was accused of having been having said. Folks, if you think this doesn't matter to America, hang in there. Do not go away. Do not turn that dial. So this woman with the the conviction was overturned by the highest court, saying there's not sufficient evidence she said that. As one small tidbit in this case about the evidence, there was a news article run describing this incident of her having these two muslim women claiming she had defamed the prophet the story ran on a particular date i think it was june 9th but the incident as the whole prosecution was occurring and the incident being described of this conversation where she allegedly defamed the prophet hadn't even happened yet i mean the whole thing is very shaky if she did and if she said anything wrong at all but so the government Decided the the highest court said that they threw her conviction out because they weren't clear on it. This had that weren't there wasn't sufficient evidence that she committed this crime. The government said that the outpouring of outrage in the country of Pakistan, if you doubt that Islamic uh, law, Sharia, Islamic cultures around this world, if you buy in to the left wing uh, silliness, lie that somehow Islam is a religion of peace, it's very reasonable. Let me describe for you what has been happening in Pakistan just because the court ruled that there wasn't sufficient evidence that she committed blasphemy. So she wasn't going to be put to death. So they're going to let her go in the country of Pakistan. And she was, by the way, she's a poor farm laborer. She's not like a public figure. She's not a leader. She's not, she's just violent protests, actual assassinations of people in the country. They had, um, she has been, she spent eight years on death row. Her husband and children are living in a secret location because they are in fear for their lives. The protests in Pakistan have included thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the streets, Islamic authorities, imams, everyday people, chanting, demanding her death. Demanding she gets put to death. Demanding that because two women said she blasphemed the prophet that's enough. She has to be put to death. Violent protest does not begin to describe fires lit, people murdered, assassinations, riots. I mean complete crazy. Complete crazy. The husband work and one of the children working through communicating through some Catholic uh, Vatican related entity saying you've got to get us out of here get us out of here they need to find some country to go to because if she's seen in the streets she'll be killed so the family's trying to get out of there the um, government because and, and, and that." Really enraged the insane Islamic protesters, who were saying, you know, that they were going to, they were threatening the government of the country, threatening the leader of the country, if they dared to let this woman leave the country. They want blood. They want to kill her. They want to get her put to death. So these protesters are claiming they're going to attack the government. And overthrow the government if they dare let her leave, even though the highest court in the land said there's insufficient evidence she did anything wrong. So Pakistan's in a mess. The government is so worried about what these crazy protesters are saying that the foreign office spokesman in Pakistan made an announcement that there is no truth to the reports that Asia Bibi is leaving the country. They're trying to reassure the crazy protesters, the government of Pakistan, don't worry, we wouldn't really let her go. They're talking about, you know, that not agreeing she gets to leave. She has no way to live in Pakistan in safety. And again, she's not Muslim. Okay, let me just, I'm going to tell you two of the things that really matter about this story. One has to do with Sharia and blasphemy. The second has to do with the impact of Islamization around the world, including in Italy and and, the United Kingdom and America and Canada. But first, as to what's happening in this country, all of this outrage you are hearing in Pakistan related to this woman alleged to have blasphemed the prophet. You have to remind yourself, this is not the imam or, or a mosque saying that she needs to be removed as a member of the mosque. This is... This is exactly like in America if you had protests against an atheist for violating uh, the Ten Commandments. I mean, the, the point I'm making is Sharia is part of Islamic law. It is based and rooted. It is Islamic law. And in Pakistan and in the way many Muslims around this world would like the whole world to be, there's no difference between what sharia says which is if you commit blasphemy you get put to death and what the se- alleged secular not part of the not part of the mosque the government of pakistan is saying the government of pakistan has the same law that sharia has it's basically it's saying the law of the country of pakistan is sharia it is islamic law it is sharia and no one in that country is even saying Are we a little bit barbaric here, a little bit crazy, that in this, in the year 2018, we still have a law in the books that says you're put to death for blaspheming the prophet? No one's even saying that. No one's even pointing out she's not even Muslim. She never agreed to follow Sharia. She never agreed to follow the Islamic law. But she's being persecuted prosecuted and persecuted because of a law of a religion which she does not adhere to and neither does her family. And hardly anyone on the international scene is 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 speaking with scorn, derision, outrage at Pakistan, saying, could you please join the modern world? Could you please join civilization? Could you please recognize you can't put people to death? She's not even Muslim. So that's the first piece of this. So when people tell you that Sharia supremacism is a silly thing to worry about and you shouldn't be acting like it's such a crazy thing, this is exactly the kind of thing that is ha- that happens this case just happened to get a lot of international attention and maybe contributed that attention maybe contributed to the court in that country saying um, that they didn't have sufficient evidence of her guilt so that is the first piece of this the second piece it relates to the world so she's got to get the heck out of there she's got and her family they've got to get out because otherwise they'll be killed so one choice was United Kingdom Now, there are conflicting reports. Some people from the United Kingdom said that the United Kingdom, UK, England, was afraid to bring this family in because they couldn't guarantee her safety because of the increased Islamization of British society that they have so many Muslims in UK right now that they didn't think it was a smart idea to bring her there because she might meet the same fate that she's going to meet if she has to stay in Pakistan. Now, I will say three imams in London have come forward and said UK should let her come here and, and, and she can be safe. So, you know, I don't know. But UK is not inviting her. America is not inviting her. America hasn't said no and hasn't said yes. Italy is now, Italy, the home of the Vatican, the Catholic Church is looking at trying to bring them there. But I raise this story to say when people tell you that Sharia supremacism is just antiquated, it didn't happen, it doesn't happen anymore, it's real life, this woman cannot live in her home country anymore because of something she denies even doing. But this is when people talk about being careful, the Islamization of America, this is the kind of thing they're talking about. The mindset that says, because Islam says this in Sharia, everybody must follow. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk If you're on Facebook Live. Come back in four minutes after the break and the top of the second hour to we'll our cruise through the news. Come right back.